yeah, I, I thought it was dangerous. And, and my brain thought it was dangerous as well. And I had to slowly start to teach the brain that it isn't dangerous. So that required practicing being scared. Welcome to a Healthy Push podcast. I'm Shannon Jackson, former anxiety sufferer turned adventure mom and anxiety recovery coach. I struggled with anxiety, panic disorder, and agoraphobia for 15 years. And now I help people to push past the stuff that I used to struggle with. Each week, I'll be sharing real and honest conversations along with actionable and practical steps that you can take to help you push past your anxious thoughts, the symptoms, panic, and fears. Welcome. You're right where you're meant to be. All right. Welcome, Josh, to a Healthy Push podcast. Hi. So I want to just start by having you give us an intro to you and what you do. Uh, Hi, uh, Shannon. Yeah, I'm uh, Joshua Fletcher. I'm a psychotherapist based in the UK who specializes with anxiety disorders. So this is people who struggle with panic attacks, panic disorder, agoraphobia, or agoraphobia for transatlantic cousins generalized anxiety health anxiety ocd um those kind of things yeah and i want to work with them in a very kind of cognitive behavioral way but also about psychoeducate using psychoeducation stuff like that uh the reason why i got into it is because i suffered from anxiety myself for many years didn't have the correct help and it impassioned me to to help others and it's there since then i write books and podcasts and Instagram stuff and wave the giant Josh shaped flag and you get it. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Well, everything that you do is super helpful. All the stuff that I see you share on Instagram is so, so helpful. Um, We'll get a little bit into your personal experience because I'm so interested to see how that tied into your personal recovery and also how you help people today. Um, So we're going to primarily talk about agoraphobia. And of course, with that, you can't help but also talk about panic disorder. So let's just start by having you give us a description, maybe yours or the definition. What is agoraphobia? Uh, uh, Well, if you look at the official definition of, of agoraphobia, it's well, there's a couple a fear of open spaces, fear of going outside the kind of stereotype as someone who can't leave the house. Uh, My definition, which is better because it applies (laughs) to everyone, is fear of being too far away from a safe space. Now, for a lot of people, that safe space is their home. But people with agoraphobia can, if you picture Google Maps or something, they can circle where's safe and where's not. So home could be safe. Work could be safe. Certain roads could be safe. Going to see a family member or a certain grocery store can be safe. But if you stray anywhere out of those designated safe zones, then we're afraid that we'll be overwhelmed and crippled by anxiety or panic. And that's agoraphobia in one. Now, not only could you is it a safe space, it can be a safe person. I've worked with agoraphobic people who've flown around the world but only because their partner or their or loved one was with them. They couldn't do that on their own, you mm-hmm. know, and that often get, that gets misdiagnosed as attachment disorder or whatever. And that's like, no, actually, if you really unpick it, it's I'm afraid, I don't believe I can cope outside of a safe zone or my anxiety and panic will become so overwhelming outside of my safe zone. Uh, and that's agoraphobia, you know, or agoraphobia, if, if that's what you want to call it. 
Um, yeah, um, that's pretty much it in a nutshell. I'm also very familiar with it as well. I didn't leave my house for a whole year, barely left my bedroom, so I'm very uh, accustomed to it. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. So I think that I'm glad you said, you know, the primary stereotype is that you don't leave your house. And for me, I was never housebound and I definitely had a partner. I'm married to somebody who's super adventurous and (laughs) loves to go, go, go and travel. And so I moved across the country. I did lots of traveling all while struggling with panic disorder and agoraphobia. So it's really helpful to know that, you know, it's not just being afraid to leave your home. So can you get into a little bit about your personal struggle with agoraphobia and maybe what are some of the things that you struggled with most? Yeah, so mine started like everyone's. Um, my anxiety sort of starts started in my young 20s when things got very stressful and too much. So I use, like to use the analogy of the jug. We all have a stress jug and it's a metaphor for our ability to tolerate stress. Now, at this particular point in my life, there was extreme stress. I was looking after my brother who was dying. I was working in a stressful job. I had no money, just coming out of a cannabis addiction, broke up with my girlfriend. This stress jug was building up and up and up Mm -hmm. and up and up and up and up. Then it overflowed. Boom. And you know it's overflowed because one day I stood there in work and suddenly the whole world felt weird. I experienced depersonalization, derealization, dissociation for the first time you know and I was like woof uh, and it was the first thing in the morning I was like whoa where on earth did that come from uh, and then obviously I'd never even really used the word anxiety before I thought it just meant I'm worried about my exams or stuff like that um, no this was real anxiety and I had a panic attack because obviously I thought I was going crazy I was like whoa I don't feel here my hands don't feel like mine I can hear my own voice people's faces look like clay obviously I describe it now and it doesn't scare me but when you don't know what that is, it's really scary. It's like, whoa, oh, yeah. what on earth's going on? And this was my first panic attack. Um, now, I did what I thought was best at the time, and I went home, which obviously, as we know, isn't great. But if you don't know what you're working with, you know, that's fine. And I went home, and I went home to work it out. Let's work out what's happening to me, freaking out. Went to the doctor, said, doctor, I feel weird. I don't feel like I'm here I can hear my own voice. I'm, I'm spaced out, detached. And he just looked at me like I was crazy. You <laughs> 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 sound like you're anxious. Have some pills. I was like, all right. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then and then I was just stuck in this huge sense of hypervigilance. And I was so scared. I was in panic attack after panic, panic attack. And I was in my room for ages. I must have stayed in my room for a long time trying to work out what on earth was happening to me, Googling, stuff like that. And bear in mind, this is quite a while ago now. Like You type those symptoms into Google, it comes up straight away, but there wasn't much on it when I was struggling. Um, and yeah, I struggled for a year. I couldn't even leave the house. And bear in mind, I'm a confident person. You know, I've flown, flown around the world, done some crazy stuff. This was the most scary thing I did. And that's how my panic disorder and agoraphobia started. I couldn't leave the house. My mum would say, oh, try to go for a walk. And I was like, no, because what if I freak out? And yeah, that's how mine started. Um, And I couldn't find help for ages until I uh, kind of stumbled across books like Claire Weeks and Paul David. And they gave me a bit of an idea of what was going on. And I felt less alone. And I was like, oh, okay. And obviously I was looking after my brother at the time, which looking in hindsight, 
was a good thing because with panic disorder and agoraphobia, it loves it being the most stimulating thing in your life, the most important thing mm -hmm. in your life. But panic disorder and agoraphobia wasn't the most important thing in my life. And that's what helped me overcome it. So, and it was actually advantageous to have that. Um, but yeah, after doing that, and then I learned about it, psychoeducation, learned the principles of CBT, psychoeducation is so important. And then I've then just, yeah, the penny dropped. I was like, oh, oh, I get it. My threat response is going nuts because I'm super stressed. And now I'm fearing that threat response over and over again. I need to solve this with my behavior. And yeah, that's, that's kind of in a nutshell, the story of agoraphobia. <laughs> Yeah, that's quite intense. I mean, I definitely have some similarities in my journey. I'm glad that you mentioned stress being a huge contributor because I know for myself, I was in the same boat. I mean, I had so much going on at the time. I was also in, uh, well, I started struggling when I was a teenager, but um, of course, once I started working and going to college and all of that, and I just had so much overwhelming stress in an unhealthy relationship, a very toxic relationship, actually so many things. And same with you, my stress bucket overfilled. And it was like every day was panic, 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 and fear. And so I, I know that a lot of people always try to figure out like, why is this happening? Why am I struggling with panic? Why am I struggling with agoraphobia? And stress and even just having one panic attack can absolutely do it. Is that something that you would agree with? Yeah, I mean, you use the, the, the stress jug analogy, the stress bucket. What happens is it, get, it overflows. And when it overflows, that's when our body dissociates and we the threat response in our brain misinterprets all this stress. It's an old threat response. It doesn't understand subjective stress, you know, like careers, exams, self-esteem, whatever. It just, it just thinks, wow, Shannon's so stressed. You must be in danger. So it kicks off. Now, what happens is that can happen to anyone. Lots of people will have, most people have a panic attack once in their life. But why anxiety disorder and panic disorder starts is that we start to fear that panic attack and analyze it and our attention goes inwards. And then it, we start to see it as something that needs to be solved. Ultimately, panic disorder and agoraphobia is when we freak out so much and we get so scared of the panic attack that we do everything in our life for it not to happen again. That includes compulsions like inwards rumination, checking to see if it's there, planning around it, uh, constant inwards threat monitoring and focus. And all that does is teach the brain that anxiety is something to be scared of. And that fills up the, the stress jug. So when people say, oh, there's nothing left in my stress jug to me, I'm like, yeah, there is. What's filling up your stress jug is that your fear of fear. Mm -hmm. You know, this is why lots of people have their breakdowns after good life events like marriages, giving birth, mm. uh, moving house, job promotion. Suddenly, bam, they're hit with it. Oh, my panic came from nowhere. No, it didn't. Your stress job got too far, uh, too full. And now what keeps filling it up is your fear of fear, which will keep filling it up and it keeps overflowing. And that's why you end up stuck. I'm in my books, I call it the loop of peaking anxiety take away the fear of fear and you start to pour the, the stuff out of the jug. And it, it's something I've been doing for years for my clients and, and it's try, tried and tested fail proof approach. <laughs> yeah. I'm so glad you, you give those analogies though, because they're so helpful in better understanding what's happening because I know for myself and I'm sure you had been there too and feeling like, just like you said, 
this is hitting me out of the middle of nowhere. Like, I have no idea why this is happening. And just like you said, big life events, you know, things that then cause you to feel anxious and panicky, you're thinking, well, there's no reason why I should be feeling this way. There's no reason why it should have come back. There's no reason why this should be happening. But it's like, oh, that thing that happened two months ago or a month ago is finally catching up with you and your bucket is so overfilling that it has no other option. And like you said, you start fearing the fear. And I think I'd love to talk about that a little bit because I'm sure that was a big reason for you why you didn't leave your room, why you stayed there, because you didn't want to feel the fear. Yeah, I I thought it was dangerous. And and my brain thought it was dangerous as well. And I had to slowly start to teach the brain that it isn't dangerous. So that required practicing being scared. I, yeah. I speak to a lot of my you know, uh, people on my course and stuff like that. They always say, oh, I've had a, I had a whole week without anxiety. And I'm like, that doesn't interest me because <laughs> that's not recovery. Recovery yeah. is being willing to be scared, knowing that it's safe. That's it. It's safe. Uh, uh, so a good week is, you know what? I was scared on Wednesday morning, but I went on that big walk on my own and I was scared a lot my anxiety was high but I did it anyway no safety behaviors didn't avoid and actually halfway around my anxiety turned off and I enjoyed the rest of the walk now that now that that's impressive that's where recovery is at but when people like oh I've been three months without having a panic attack that's not interesting I have panic attacks now and then I mean I don't call them panic attacks because nothing's attacking you they're adrenaline rushes but I have an adrenaline rush now and then I, I get depersonalization now and then and rather than freaking out, going, oh, my God, it's back. I need to fix it and cure myself. I go, mm-hmm. right, what's going on? Oh, this makes sense. I've been stressed at work. I'm worried about things like COVID. I'm worried about my family. I've argued with my partner. My business partner's being a knob. Um, there's <laughs> loads of stuff going, no one, this is the perfect storm for it. It never really comes from nowhere. Even when you're feeling good some days, like, oh, I feel good all day. And then it hit me. It's like, well, then look around. Actually, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm grieving. Actually, it's quite near my, my father's birthday. Or I realized mm-hmm. I've just come out from a breakup or whatever. There's always summit there. The brain doesn't just go, you know what, have this, you know. Um, and so, yeah, that's the, yeah, the fear of fear. Ultimately, that's mostly what it is. It's the fear of fear because the jug overflows. Yeah. Mm. So, I'm curious for your personal journey, what was like one of the things looking back that really helped you to start chipping away at that fear of fear and the thing that started helping you to leave your room and facing the hard stuff? Uh, like what David Carbonell says, it's, it's, it's discomfort, not danger. Uh, I thought I was in danger for a long time or it could make me lose control or collapse or give me a heart attack or something. It can't. It's a healthy process in your body. I had it all day, every day for over a year. You know, it's, I didn't eat, didn't sleep, still here. You know, it didn't really hurt yeah. me. <laughs> you know, and when that real, I realized, oh, okay, well, you know, when you ignore sensationalized headlines in the media, like, oh, stress is the biggest killer. No, it's not. No, you're all right. You know, it's not, just just get knowing that it can't hurt you is the biggest thing. Knowing exactly what's happening, knowing, learning about the amygdala and the threat response and the limbic system, knowing that it's healthy, it's just confused. 
but it's yeah. doing a healthy thing just in places where you don't want it to. Oh, I'm lying in bed. I've woken up. Why is my threat response going off? Oh, I'm out with my friends eating dinner. Why is my threat response going off? Oh, I'm in work. You know, why is my threat response going off? Oh, I'm lying in the bath where I should be relaxed. Why is my threat response going off? And it's about learning that, and that's why I love the word disorder. Many of my therapy friends don't like it. They think it's a, uh, medicalizing mental health. I was like, no, it's not. Disorder literally means not in order. Um, that's what happens. The anxiety is not in order. Put it back in order again. You're not you're not trying to erase anxiety forever. You need it. Everyone needs it. Everyone gets it. But yeah, yeah. I, it's not very nice when you have it at home when you're trying to watch Netflix. Yeah, you, you, why is it going yeah. off? Yeah, but yeah, just putting it back in order. Yeah. So when you started getting outside of your room, right, and leaving your house, I'm I'm imagining that some things were really, really challenging for you and those symptoms crept up. Did you have particular situations in which you felt, you know, the, the depersonalization, derealization, or any other symptoms that were really hard for you to move past? I think any kind of exposure work where you're challenging your anxiety and putting yourself in and discomfort is hard. Yeah. Um, the hardest thing I ever did was go to the grocery store. I mean, mm -hmm. over in the UK, we call it Asda. It's called the same company. It's Walmart over where you are. Going into Walmart with just practicing exposure, feeling the lights are too bright, feeling overwhelmed, have images of being carted away to the asylum, uh, images of collapsing, freaking out. No, actually, no, just going like, no, I'm practicing being scared here. I'm teaching the brain this is safe. Yeah, that was one of the hardest things I've ever done. Just going around the corner to Walmart. And then I went to Walmart again the next day. It was hard, mm -hmm. but not as hard. And then I went again the day after. It was hard, but not as hard as the previous day. And then I went again. I was like, actually, I'm not really scared of Walmart anymore. Oh, well, there must be something to this. So then I kept putting myself in situations where they'd scare me. And the anxious response will always try to get you to avoid. So I practiced mm -hmm. in my car. <gasps> you can't panic in the car. You, you kill someone. No, I won't. You're not going to make me lose control. Uh, so I practiced driving around in the car. Oh, my God. And then that got easier and that got easier. But, yeah, initially, just getting out of the house. In fact, I was so bad once, I was afraid to go to the bathroom. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. I A think, very long time ago. <laughs> yeah. I, I think you hit on something, you know, it's the, it's the feelings that make you feel like you're in danger. And especially when you're out, you know, outside of whatever you might consider your safe place and you're feeling those feelings and you're convinced like this is dangerous and I'm not safe. And I know in these situations, like for myself, especially I had been in therapy, I had started to learn some different tools and techniques but I always found myself like in the moment frantically trying to breathe my way out of it or to like use distraction or to just try to do anything to make what I was feeling go away. Did you ever have that similar experience of trying to just like push the feelings away and try not to feel them? Yeah, for a whole year, every day. Mm. I'd wake up. Am I anxious? Oh my God, I hate it. What can I do to get rid of this feeling? Yeah. For me, my compulsion was to work it out. My safe way was to sit there mm. and analyze it, work it out. Google search anything. Who can give me the magic words and the magic potion to make it go away? 
yeah, the deep breathing, the meditating, all this, all this stuff. Like just no, like what I realized is that here's my two golden rules. Golden rule number one is do what non-anxious you would be doing, despite how you feel. Mm. Well, would non-anxious me be sat there, you know, doing EFT, tapping, drinking CBD oil and meditating? No, it wouldn't. You'd just be out and about. Mm-hmm. So why would why have I stopped what I'm doing? Um, because, yeah, I, I, I feel like I couldn't tolerate this and the, the feelings. Rule number two is, is what I'm doing right now, you ask yourself, is what I'm doing right now teaching the threat response in my brain that feeling uncertain is safe no you're doing everything to push away that uncertainty you hate it so i'm going to deep breathe do that look at that look at that post i saved that piece of paper that i wrote down that reassuring book that used to reassure me but now doesn't anymore all that mm-hmm. no you're not you're not following rule 2 you need to show the brain that it's okay and that requires being anxious, you know. Yeah. And and then you, the more you do that, the more you'll start to feel like yourself again. Actually, really confident as well. You'll get you back plus confidence. Yeah. Mm. So I'm really curious. When in your journey did you decide to go to school to get into the work that you're now in? Because I know psychoeducation is a super important piece of recovery and it sounded like for you was a really important piece in your recovery. So were you recovered or were you in the midst of your struggle when you made that decision to go to school? Uh, yeah, I was, I mean, recovered from anxiety disorder. Yeah. I went back to, I went back to study um, when I was okay with my anxiety disorder. No one studying to be a therapist ever feels perfect. No one mm-hmm. is, the, is the finished article. And there were many. There was many things I had to challenge outside the world of anxiety disorders and fear of fear in order to become a therapist. Uh, challenging internal prejudices, norms, things like that, um, which which can be a very anxiety-inducing in itself when you unpick the building blocks of who you are. Um, but and I still had a, my fears. I mean, you know, we all do. Like, I don't really like flying and stuff like that. You know, I still I still studied with those, um, but in general, no. I was it was in a place where I was like, no, I, I want to learn. I I want to. I'm in the place where I can help people now. I'm confident to help people. So, what's the best way to do that? I'm going to study and make sure that, you know, I'm in the best place to do that. And uh, yeah, it was cool. Came, comes with its own anxiety things. One of the best things I did. Yeah. That's awesome. I'm so glad that you did that because it's, it, I think there are so many therapists right out there that have struggled with anxiety or even panic and agoraphobia, but not a lot of people share that. And so it's really helpful to know <laughs> that, you know, I, I know I can speak from personal experience when I went to see a therapist for the first time, I sat there for probably the first three sessions think, thinking, this woman has no idea how to help me because she has no idea what I've been through. And I think, you know, you don't have to go through it in order to help somebody, but there's definitely so, it's so powerful when you can connect with somebody when they've been through what you've been through and they share that same, you know, mentality, they understand it. Um, 
so yeah, I'm just, when I came across you on Instagram probably years ago now, I was like, oh my gosh, somebody who's forthright that they were once there and that they continue to struggle with anxieties that we, you know, struggle with as humans, but, you know, having the education and really understanding um, it better so that you can help other people move through it. It's just, it's so powerful. Mm. Thank you. So yeah. can you talk about um, maybe a, a big mistake? I know you've already talked about a couple that I picked up in our conversation, but what's a big mistake that you see people making along the recovery journey? Um, applying perfectionism to recovery. Mm. So they believe that when they're anxious, that's a step back. And this is why I always say the golden rules. You know, as soon as you start to see anxiety as, as, as a step back, you are no longer practicing willful tolerance. Now, willful tolerance is, is, is my staple word. Uh, it's something that Dr. Sally Winston and Dr. Mike Steve use uh, in their work, and I've kind of adopted it myself. It's like um, recovery is when you can willfully tolerate your anxiety, and you believe that. Yeah. And when you believe that, the amygdala, the threat response stops adding fear of fear to the jargon, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know you're recovered when you start to have a anxiety and panic and then you realize, okay, well, I don't like this, but I'm not bothered. I can willfully tolerate it. Whereas the number one mistake I hear is, oh, my God, I'm having a relapse. I am spiraling. I am doing all this. this. And I was like, no, you've just lost willful tolerance that's the only difference you've lost the ability to willfully tolerate it temporarily just work on it again and that's it and that's people that get to a good place and after a year they suddenly you know gets to a really stressful time in their life and they start to panic again they're like oh my god what if i've forgot everything what if i've um everything i've learned is a lie and (laughs) It's just like, it's just like, nah, like you just, you lost will for tolerance. That's what I say. You know, remember your golden rules, do what non-anxious me would do. Why is non-anxious, why are you now back on forums and buying anxiety books again and filling your shelves with all these things? Like you had a panic attack. Why? That's a bit of an exaggerated response to a panic attack. You just, you're back in that stage again where you're like, I don't want to ever want that to feel that way again. It's like, no, get on with it. Put the books away. You already know what it is to do. You know, just get on it. Um, and I've been that person too. When I was trained to be a therapist, we have this the emergence of trauma narratives, which for people like me who's diagnosed with OCD as well, really, really don't help with anxiety disorders because there's an obsession both in the popular sphere and even in modern-day psychotherapy and humanistic psychotherapy that everything is trauma. I've been traumatized trauma, developmental trauma, something trauma, this trauma, whatever, trauma, trauma, trauma. Trauma is trapped inside of me. I need to get rid of the trauma. Now, yeah, if you've got PTSD and complex PTSD, I understand. And, you know, those narratives can be helpful, but they suck for anxiety disorders because they start to make you think that there's something wrong with you, which then encourages inwards threat monitoring and rumination. It does my head in. I argue with therapists all the time about it. (laughs) Oftenly, I'm in the minority, but then again, that's why no one listens to them and everyone listens to me. Yeah. <laughs> but I think it's so true. I, I You do see so much on social media, especially pointing to how, you know, trauma 
has a direct correlation to your struggle with anxiety. And you see it everywhere all the time. Like if you struggled with this, then this is why. It must be trauma. Right. Yes, I don't work like that. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's helpful, though. And I'm glad that you share that because I know for myself, I experienced lots of trauma um, as a child and also as a teenager. But it definitely wasn't the primary reason why I struggled with an anxiety disorder. It truly was the stress. And it the adds to your jug. It adds oh, yeah. to your jug. Trauma, I've been through some horrendous trauma. I've had loved ones die in my arms. I've been beaten mm-hmm. up. I've been emotionally abused. I've been in, in, in an emotionally abusive relationship. I've done all this. That's not, it, it relates passively, indirectly to your anxiety disorder in the sense that it contributes to the jug filling up. Mm. but you get a lot of therapists going, mm, that sounds traumatizing. It's the trauma. Tell me all that. That's nothing to do with me fearing going to Walmart because I'm afraid of my panic sensations. Yeah. Y- yes, it was contributing. I like how uh, Drew, Drew Lynch, uh, anxious truce analogy where he says a lot of therapy is for anxiety disorders is like trying to work out what started the fire when your house is on fire. It's like, no, mm. put out the flames first. And then if you want to understand where it came from, try and identify the match, where the, where'd the match come from? Yeah. Uh, and that's what a lot of what modalities, what a lot of the modalities do in, in therapy. And that's why it's important. And so I really like the cognitive behavioral approach or the metacognitive approach, understanding the, the nature of anxiety disorders. And then, and then I went back when I overcame my anxiety disorder. I went back to therapy and, and, and unpicked loads of other stuff. There was nothing to do with my anxiety. So I spoke about yeah. grief, spoke about all that stuff. But when people go to therapy to, you know, w- with the expectation that if they identify the trauma, the, the panic symptoms go away. No, no, you're just going to end up in circles. And that's my very passionate, strong opinion, which is always fact. <laughs> always don't question josh <laughs> i have well, control issues <laughs> <laughs> well i very much love your two golden rules and i really appreciate you sharing those with with our, our listeners so tell us josh where people can find and connect with you if they want to learn even more from you and get your support Cool, yeah. If you want to hear more of my sanct- sanctimonious nonsense, <laughs> uh, you can find me. Or I'm on social media. I'm Anxiety Josh. My full name is Joshua Fletcher. Um, yeah, you can. I've got website schoolofanxiety.com. Um, I've got a podcast myself called The Panic Pod. Um, but I've not done an episode for a while, but I'll do some more this 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 year when I've got time. Uh, yeah. Also, look out. For, I've got some new books coming out this year. O- Unravel your intrusive thoughts, and shit your therapist is thinking, which is a mass <laughs> published book, which I can't wait to to publish that. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, I see so many people sharing your books, so they are clearly very, very helpful. Um, so, all right. Thank you so much, Josh. I'm sure we'll be talking again on my podcast, and I look forward to it. Thanks, Shannon, and thanks for being an advocate for mental health. Yes, for sure. I hope you enjoyed this episode of A Healthy Push. If you want more, head on over to ahealthypush.com for the show notes and lots more tips, tools, and inspiration that will support your recovery. And if you're hoping for me to cover a certain topic, be sure to join my Instagram community at A Healthy Push and let me know in the comments what you want to hear next.